Hello, everyone. This is Baruch Lurie, and this is the Baruch Lurie Podcast. With me, as always, is Ari David, my friend and producer. Always a pleasure. We, uh, we are facing some interesting uh, things that are going on these days. The, um, I'll just kind of lay them out, and then we'll talk about, about them one at a time. One is, of course, the uh, situation in the Middle East with ISIS and otherwise. And what is very interesting is the Obama administration's take on the whole thing. As you know, I believe that uh, if you do not make a decision, a decision will be made, (laughs) a decision will come upon you, right? So, for example, um, if you don't brush your teeth, I, I predict that you will soon have a visit with a dentist and a very painful visit with a dentist, right? If you uh, don't shave, you'll eventually have a beard and people will view you a certain way and you'll have to trim that, whatever it is. If you don't take care of that uh, cancer, well, a decision will be made for you <laughs> in the way of uh, ultimately being in the grave. There are many things like that. So it is, if make a decision, I often say, or a decision will be made for you. And such is the same when it comes to dealing with world affairs, Right. When, when we pulled out of Iraq, when I say we, I, I actually shouldn't, shouldn't say we because I sure as hell didn't. Uh, when America pulled out of Iraq uh, via Obama, who said, it's really, it's his, he made it very clear his goal was to get every last man out of Iraq, and that was somehow a great achievement of his first term, remember? But think of that. That wasn't really a decision, was it? It was, in, in, in essence, just doing nothing. By pulling us all out, we're basically saying, okay, we're going to leave that area and nothing, we're going to do nothing about it. Okay. And now what, what's happened as a result is that ISIS and um, many other bad guys have come in, mostly ISIS, um, to take over the whole country. A decision has descended upon Iraq. And now we have the egg on our face. It is... Uh, you know, to use my previous example, um, you know, Obama decided, well, we don't need to brush our teeth. And now here we are now in the dentist chair dealing with a lot of pain. That's, that's what's happening. And what just boggles my mind are two things. One is the extraordinary naivete to think that you could pull every last man out and nothing will happen. That's what he thought. Now, What's the best response that I hear from liberals about this? They say, look, we, try, you know, we were interested in negotiating a, um, a status of forces agreement, but Maliki and Iraq, the, the Iraqi government seemed very uninterested, and who are we to tell them, a sovereign nation, uh, what they need to do? Okay. Uh, putting aside um, all that, at the very least, can you at least acknowledge that by running away without a single man left, that bad things are going to happen? Okay, just, just acknowledge that. Okay, just forget about whether or not you could have negotiated the, the status of forces agreement, which you and I would say clearly they could have and they should have. And Obama would have been right to say, look, you know, we spent eight years here. And we want to make sure that's not off or not. So uh, we need at least 10,000 men here. 
at least for psychological purposes. But that will definitely keep the forces at bay. They, they, we need that sort of stability. And they would, they would bicker and trade, horse trade and all that stuff, but eventually things would get done. But there's settlement and there's settlement. There's negotiating and there's negotiating. And I think that as soon as Maliki said, uh, you know, we don't want a status of forces agreement, Obama said, okay, bye. <laughs> and that was that. You could, you could practically hear the Doppler effect as he was leaving, you know, uh, you know Iraq. So this is what we're left with. Now, but here's the amazing thing. It gets worse because don't forget that when we left Iraq, Obama was very proud of leaving Iraq without a single man left. He didn't say, look, uh, you know, we would have liked to have been here with 10,000 men still. Um, but, but, you know, here we are. We hope for the best. He didn't say anything like that. On the contrary, he proudly said that we're leaving a sovereign, self-sustaining and uh, reliable government. Stable. 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 Yeah, thank you. Stable government, right. Uh, and we have nothing to worry about, basically. And, and he, he left that with great pride, and he wanted to take credit for it. And uh, nobody was fooled. We all, I mean, they couldn't wait for us to leave, of course, and, and here we are. Here we are. This is the challenge that Obama now has to deal with because he's dealing with his own history and the comments that he made as well. In addition to all that, in addition to all that, he had made um, not only the, the assurances that everything was perfectly good, he, he had specifically stated that this was his mission to get out of Iraq. He, he cannot argue himself out of this. He cannot say um, that somehow these, this mess that has now been created is somehow not his fault anymore. He can't argue this way. He has, he has no argument whatsoever. And I suppose all he can do is to blame Bush for, for getting into Iraq in the first place. But that's, that song don't sing very much anymore. Do you see where I'm going with this? Um, it's, and, and now he's trying to retreat and saying all sorts of double talk. And Hillary Clinton is actually throwing him under the bus now. The foreign policy argument is now, they're now at odds with each other. Which is not a surprise. Well, that was point number one um, that we wanted to bring about. Point number two um, was also uh, a little bit about, about foreign policy. Um, and that, of course, is uh, Russia and Gaza uh, and how ISIS is just so emboldened now and how weak we look in the world. It concerns me greatly. It, concern, it should concern all of us. We are now in a position where we have to seriously think that ISIS may be knocking on our door in so many years, whether it's 10 years from now, 15 years from now, who knows? But these are really evil people who have felt tremendous emboldenment of the, of the lack of action by the Obama administration. They know that we won't do anything. With this, these airstrikes that we're now doing, and that's the latest salvo, right? Uh, there will not be any boots on the ground. Uh, and if there are boots on the ground, it's going to be at an enormous expense to America, both financially and also manpower-wise. We'll be so behind the, the curve on this. It's like playing a chess game, and you realize that you've got to bring your bishop out. But the bishop is you know, caught behind all sorts of your own pieces. 
It would be nice if the bishop were, bishop were already there, right, to help out the queen. But it's not going to help. It's, uh, it's too late. There are too many moves required. So what are we going to do? Move all our men back into Iraq now? You know, the enormous amount of uh, effort that will be there. To say nothing of the embarrassment that Obama will have to eat. He will eat crow. How does he explain that to his, uh, to his, to, to his liberal base, that he's going back into Iraq? He's put himself in an incredibly impossible position. And obviously what he should have done is left 10,000 or more troops there and, says, and then turned to the left and said, look, this is what we have to do. Uh, otherwise, we lose everything. So otherwise, we'll have uh, the militants come in and, and destroy us all. And they won't believe him. They wouldn't believe him, but, but he would be right. But I guess we're not surprised. He's a very inexperienced president. Uh, no foreign policy experience, no business experience, nothing. So that's, uh, that's ISIS and Iraq for you. Now, um, two other things I want to talk about. And I know you're probably passionate about uh, one of them, Ari, and that is Robin Williams. As you know, uh, very sadly, he killed himself yesterday. Was it yesterday? You think? Do you recall? I, I, I believe it's technically Sunday night. Oh, okay. So that would have been the 10th or so of August. Either way, I mean, it's just tragic all around. I, I understood that he hung himself. Um, but however he kills himself is, I guess, of no import. What I didn't realize was the degree to which this man was so depressed um, maybe upon looking at him, you might say... You missed that? I, I did, you know, upon looking at him. Now, in hindsight, the clues seem to be all there, right? He, he seemed to be so agitated, and, and his acting um, comes out. I think he was very sincere when he talked about all the suffering that he was dealing with. It's as if he was speaking for himself in Goodwill Hunting and a couple of other movies that, that uh, I can reference. But I did miss that, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, certainly he was an incredibly funny man, and uh, the world will miss him. And I'm sorry that he, uh, he, he faced such pain in his life. But I want to talk about the larger picture, not just to celebrate, you know, the, the good that he did. And he did a lot of good. Um, but it, it brings up the larger question of, about depression in society. And there are so many people out there who are depressed, the, the concern I have is, you know, is, this, is, is the state of our depression in America as great as it is anywhere else in the world, right? I'll, I'll give an example of what I mean. Um, we have many more anorexic women, mostly women, in America than anywhere else in the world. Okay? It's, not, it's not prevalent in uh, other places in the world. I mean, there's the old joke, I think it was on Family Guy, where uh, this woman says that she's purposely not eating, and she's saying this to some Indian woman who, you know, or actually a Pakistani woman, who's obviously struggling and suffering without food, and she's just, she says, let me get this straight, you are not eating purposefully, right, <laughs> and, but the food's available to you, right, right, <laughs> but you're not eating. Right. I cannot understand this. Let me get this straight again. She goes over and over. It's very funny. And, uh, you know, maybe that's the same way with depression. Is depression a, a, uh, a disease of affluence to some extent? 
And, and if so, why is there a connection between affluence and depression, if there is such a thing? When I say affluence, I don't mean that, that you, you yourself are particularly rich, uh, but the country itself is certainly much more affluent than any other country in the world. So why is that so? And are there other factors involved? Is, is, it, is there a lack of God in, in the equation? Is that part of the depression? I think it is. Um, and one wonders what Robin Williams' life, Robin Williams' life was, was like. Was, that a, was it a God-centered life? Was it, was it an atheist life? What, what was he all about? And I, and I wonder uh, out loud if he, if he was, in fact, a, a church-going member. I don't know if he's Jewish. If he was Jewish, did he, you know, it would, be, it would surprise me. How about that? It would surprise me greatly if he was a consistent churchgoer, um, somebody who had a deep belief in, in God, whether it's uh, Christian or Jewish. It would surprise me greatly. I, I think that God gives you that center uh, that, that uh, and nothing else can give you the same thing. So, um, what did you, did you learn anything about, uh, anything beyond this that I, that I haven't already said? With what, the, his mental state? Yeah. Well, he was known to have, uh, problems, and as a comedian, we kind of have insights into this, being that it's not exactly the, uh, uh, profession that draws the most healthy and centered people. No, but I've this heard that. Guy, yeah. But that aside, I have people in my family who suffer manic depression, right? Which is where they go from states of mania to states of not being able to get out of bed. And it was clear to me for years from watching Robin Williams' behavior that this is a guy who suffered that because the manic. people He's who, manic. Yeah. when they're in their states of mania show flashes of genius. Right, like that. Yeah, he, he would he would rattle on with very long and sometimes very funny, of course, uh, statements. Blah, blah, you know, rapid fire uh, statements that were very funny. But in fact, too, so rapid fire that you couldn't keep up with them. And it's like, what what a pity! I, mean, I would like it to be a little bit more subdued. Um, let's say, a la Jim Carrey, who may have his own issues. Or I don't know. Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright. Oh, very good example. Yeah, he's really <laughs> subdued. Four miles an hour. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, but but Robin Williams was was that fast, and he did strike me as very manic. That's a good word for him. And you know, I wonder, I wonder, uh, in addition to the God thing, because that that really can center you in such a glorious way. Um, it's it's yet another example of why God, believing in God and focusing on God, can truly make your life a more pleasant world. Uh, we talked before about raising kids, and one of the the key tenets that we talked about was was having a god centered family. If you did that 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 really will create wonderful things for you it's it 's a foundational thing it 's not everything but it 's a necessary thing and a very big necessary step and I believe very strongly that having a, a, a God as the center of your life uh, will greatly ameliorate any depression that you may have. I, I think I've seen it many times, um, and if you're if you disagree, I, you know, feel free to write me at info at lurie-law dot com, info at lurie-law dot com. I'd love to hear from you about that. But I, I know that God is not the panacea for everything. I, I get that, but I think it really helps. It gives you perspective, and we know that people who suffer depression, and I mean it seriously. I don't mean to 
to belittle it or trivialize it. But people who suffer depression, I think it's a fair to it's fair to say that they, especially during their depressions, they lack perspective. They tend to think that the world is collapsing upon them, right? And that's not a good perspective. It's not a realistic perspective. God helps center you. God helps put everything in place in a certain way to understand what to worry about, what not to worry about. Yeah, because I think you and I have good days and bad days because we're sure. normal people, right? Yep. But because we believe in God and have a certain perspective that leads us to vision of things like what the poor people who are Christians in Iraq must be going through right now. Sure. Or what the daily life of people who are not part of the nomenclatura, the upper class of North Korea, go through on a daily basis. We are able, no, on our worst day, to say, well... I guess I don't have it bad. <laughs> That's right. Right? That's right. And that is, by definition, perspective. Even if we didn't believe in God, if you just had that perspective, sure. it erases a bunch of depression. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that um, because God is so good at centering your life and giving you perspective, as we just said, you know, I acknowledge that I acknowledge that, that does not mean that God exists, that that's not a proof of God. It, it simply says that believing in God gives you a center and it gives you perspective. It is what it is. And, and you have to acknowledge that whether you're an atheist or not. Okay? And you can say, you could spin that by saying, well, that's just a drug, you know, so to speak, as we talked about before. And that's the reason why you get your perspective and such. Okay, fine. Believe that if you want. I'm, uh, but it's, it does center you. It does ground you. And it gives you perspective. It's a wonderful thing about God. You know what you said last week in the episode about raising children? Yeah. You said the first most important reason to make sure your child is God-centered is so they learn that they are not the center of the universe. Now let's invert that a little. And let's just say that you do think you're the center of the universe. Now imagine you have a bad day. By definition, that means the entire universe is collapsing. That's right. Brilliant. Right? Brilliant point. The, the, the entire universe is collapsing because you uh, tripped and uh, now you have a, a funny blotch on your, your face. That's just a bruise. Uh, but every, you think everyone's looking at you and it's the end of the world. Yeah, okay? or you rear-ended someone or you missed a stop sign and got a, right. a traffic ticket. Right. Or you showed up in court and lost a small claims case. Right. Any little blemish now means right. the end of the universe. Right. I, I was married once uh, before. And for a very short time, a lovely lady, very, very pretty, uh, very funny, too. Um, one of the problems that uh, she had and was that she could not go outside. She really suffered from, uh, I guess, agoraphobia is the, the, the phrase. She couldn't go outside, particularly she couldn't meet up with people. She had a tremendous difficulty dealing with other people. It, it, it took her all her effort to do so. And one day, and it actually helped her, I, I, I realized. Um, and she told me, which is nice, but she still had the problem. One day she said, um, she was afraid, and what are, what are people going to think about her? She feels that all her eyes are looking on her. And I said, I've got some news for you. People are not looking at you as much as you think they are. In fact, very little. They might, they might think you're a pretty woman, Sure. But they're not studying you in the same way that you think that they're studying on you. This, this is, you know, a lot of women have this issue, right? They, they look at it, they have a little blemish on their, 
on their face, their cheek, uh, or, or they, 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 there's a gray hair, and they think everyone is staring at that one gray hair. They're not. They're not. Now, why do I bring this up? Because it's about perspective, isn't it? If, and, and it's just it's liberating to know that you go into a crowded room, you know, maybe one or two people will notice you, but they're not really focusing on you. You know what they are focusing on? They're focusing on where are the appetizers? <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's uh, Joe. I need to talk to Joe. Um, and let's mingle around the room. But, so that, the normal people are focusing yes. on that. The not normal, like this girl you're talking about, are focusing on themselves. Absolutely. It's, it, the gray hair it, it's complete, like. yeah, it's complete narcissism when yes. you think about it. And, and if you're suffering from depression, a lot of it is this narcissism going on. I don't mean to, to attack people who are depressed but a lot of it is so lacking in perspective. And what you just said was such a good point, Ari, about when you don't believe in God you, and you have a bad day, you think the whole universe is having a bad day. You know, laugh at yourself a little bit. Take a step back and understand people are not paying attention to you. And it's one of the best things that you're now hearing in this in the graduation speech, right? The guy says, you're not that special. Right, it's, it, 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 it went all over YouTube. You're not that special. What a great thing to a gift to give people. And contrary to being insulting, it's actually very liberating. It, it basically says, "Look, no one's studying you. No one's looking at you, staring at you, wanting to know everything you're doing. They they don't care." How are we supposed to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes if we're so special as all these? Uh, uh, self-esteem specialists are telling us yeah, I'm true. special. Well, I better not screw up. I'm special. I have talent. What if? What if? Uh, let's say because it can't be a self-sustaining model, right? I mean, it's like the famous episode in The Simpsons when when Bart goes to to uh, Santa Claus and he says, "You know, I want a I want a motorbike, and give me the motorbike." And 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 Santa Claus basically tells him, "You know, it's all dingy and such." He realizes, "Wow, it's really tough," and Santa Claus says, you know, you don't get it, kid. You know, I have to go around the entire world giving presents to everyone for free. It's not a very good business model, <laughs> right? Okay. So it doesn't work, right? Obviously, it's, it's, you know, it's for kids. But it doesn't work, the model. Well, likewise, this notion that everyone is looking at you, staring at you. How does that work, right? Are you the only person in the world that's being stared at constantly by everyone else? Of course not. It would be silly, right? Other people think the same way as you do. So is everyone staring at each other and focusing on every little thing that they do? And if that's the case, how does anyone get anything done if you're constantly looking and staring at other people? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, it's clearly stupid. But this, I think, in large part, is a very big issue in the world of depression. Uh, this lack of perspective. And that's a very big deal. Now, how do you get this? How do you get better perspective? We talked about God. I think that's a fantastic way to get perspective. If there's one thing you can do um, that would be most impactful, maybe not the panacea, maybe not the pure cure, but the most impactful, it's God. Okay, maybe it won't clear, like I said, it won't uh, cure 100% of the issue, but maybe it'll cure 60% of the issue. You're more than halfway there. And then other things can come into play. How about taking a break once in a while? How about taking a day off 
from from work and just enjoying your children or your family relatives uh, or seeing, uh, you know, engaging in a passion like art or music or whatever floats your boat. How about that? And how about exercise? Exercise is so powerful, a method by which to um, decrease your depression. I can't tell you how many times I've gone mountain biking. And, uh, you know, when you go mountain biking, I'm, I'm kind of a social guy. Uh, I don't think too much of myself, so it's easy for me to, to go out there and say, hey, how you doing? What's your name? My, my name's Barack. I, I don't think they care that much about me. So I get to ask them questions. And uh, you find somebody who's kind of rolling his bike with you at the same time, and you, you, you trigger up a conversation. You say, hey, my name's Barack. What's your name? I'm John. Okay, great. What do you do? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer. I do this. Oh, that's what about you? I'm a psychiatrist. I've met like three psychiatrists. And I'll never forget asking them the question, and I got the same answer to, to the question. And I said to them, um, what do you think is, you know, the one, if you can only advise your client one thing to do, short of taking drugs, uh, to alleviate their, their depression, what would it be? And then they do, all three of them gave me this wry smile, you know, not an evil smile, just kind of a, a knowing smile, and say, you know what, honestly, if they just did what we're doing right now, which is mountain biking, I, I'd lose 80% of my patients, just like that. And uh, so I said, so I, I guess you don't advise them to, to go into mountain biking, do you? And he smiled. He goes, of course I, of course I do. I recommend exercising because I know how good it is for me. And uh, exercise is a very powerful, powerful weapon. And it can't hurt you, right? It can only be good for you. So why not do it? And talk about getting perspective. Once, when you go out and exercise, you're taking time away you're focusing on things other than, you know, uh, staring at somebody else and wondering whether other people are looking at you. So go out and go on a run or a mountain bike, which is, you know, out in the nature anyway. Have fun. I guarantee you that will make you feel better. Guaranteed. It may, be, it may not alleviate every moment of your depression, but um, it's something that you will, you'll want to pursue. So now I'll, I'll tell you about my own uh, issues. I, you know, once I... I never had, I would never say that I, I uh, suffered from depression, but I did suffer at one point from anxiety attacks, panic attacks. It was very strange, and it was a period of two years or so. Two things that uh, helped me, uh, that I could, and I, I knew for one thing, I would never take any drugs. I just, that, I ruled the, that out. I said that it must be something else that I'm doing that's causing these panic attacks. And I'm talking about panic attacks like I felt like I couldn't breathe. That sort of, that's the sort of thing. And I remember the last one I had, it was, must have been 10 plus years ago. No, 15 years ago. And I resolved to fix this. And so two things happened. One, I, I changed my diet completely. As you know, I, I went basically vegan with the exception of fish. And uh, I went into regular exercise mode. And I, I really enjoyed my exercise. And I got my runner's highs. I got my outdoor time and everything else. Panic attacks, gone. Haven't had one in 15 years. And I just can't imagine having another one. With that, by the way, I also got my migraines all went away too. But that's, that's also another joy. 
Um, so depression, you know, I, my heart goes out to everyone. I, I really don't mean to belittle it. I, I know that it's real for you. Um, it's very real. I know a lot of people who suffer through depression. But there are ways out of it. And I think that drugs should be the last resort, the very last resort. Uh, there, there, no doubt there are some people that are so biologically um, um, made up that they, they must have drugs. I, I get that. But for the large number of people who feel that they're suffering through depression, they're not those people. They can do things to alleviate their depression almost entirely. And I think that what they need to do is, first of all, focus on God, focus on exercise, then diet. Those things, if you can do that, uh, you'll, you'll really have a much better life. Anyway, so that's uh, all from Robin Williams um, and some encounters that I've had in my own life. Uh, it's, it's worth exploring. And I, I have had many people call up and thank us for some of the thoughts that we've shared with them. And it's changed lives. I know I've changed parents' lives with how they raise their children. I know it. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad that people have told me about that. It's a little gift I have. Thank you, Barack. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but hopefully in the, in the depression department, I think just getting people to, to say, look, you are responsible to some extent for your own happiness. Remember that. And if, if you take that responsible attitude, uh, it may seem like hard work to embrace God. It may seem even like harder work to, to do some exercise. But it's not that hard. You can do it. I know you can do it. Gain perspective. My friends, this is Barack Lurie. This has been the Barack Lurie Podcast. So, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.